Hello, this is Michelle Weston, host of Wellness Learning Curves 2.0. It's great to be on the airways again, speaking to you all. And as usual, I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Kiara Van Brackle. We actually met on a webinar, a Zoom webinar about um, advocating for MS because all chronic conditions need people who will advocate for the cause, especially as you're looking for a cure. And um, so we met a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, probably at this point. Um, and I was just taken with Kiara and her responses to things and talking with others who had it or else were um, caregivers and so forth. And so I asked her to come on and she has some interesting takes. She's, I'm going to let her explain her degrees because she's collected some, but she's coming to us from Syracuse University after running around and doing some other things to help the population and help public health in regards to discrimination in healthcare. Because if you're black and brown, it is harder. As we know, if you are black or brown and you're a woman and you're having a baby, more people of colors have um, deaths in birth. And I, it just, it stuns me. It still stuns me. I, you know, a body is a body with a baby in it. So what the heck difference does it make? But beyond that, you need people who are going to advocate for a lot of things and make sure that we're always throwing light onto subjects that really need much more light than they have. And it gets better, but we're not there yet. I mean, I never think we're there yet. Um, you know, I can talk better about obesity. So people who are obese get a short shrift when they go to the doctors, when people have their comments and people of color. And that's harder because, you know, being Jewish, you can't see that I'm Jewish, um, but I am. Yet the color of one's skin seems to be up for conversation when it most of the time has nothing to do with friendship, with color, with college, with workplaces, with anything. You know, um, it just doesn't. So with chronic conditions, Kara is going to throw some more light on that too because she's been working hard to. Uh, as we were talking about, she's going to leave her legacy with all of the work. And the things that she will do to change the course of what healthcare looks like, what it's like for people of color. And that's, to me, really, really, really important and worthy of coming on to give you guys um, some information and her take on things. So, Kiara, how are you? Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for that very warm introduction. I'm doing well. Um, I am, have started my day and done some good wellness routine and done some power yoga. So I feel good to start my day. Um, but I can go on about my education if that's what you'd like. Me yeah, to. no, I want them to, because she has, she's, she's worked, you know, to continue to collect degrees. You <laughs> have to really want to do a lot of homework and a lot of travel and a lot of internships and a lot, a lot. I know that Kiara feels the same way that information is only as good as the pass along. And that's how I feel about it. So I know that Kara is definitely committed to that too. Definitely. Um, so what was your path getting back to Syracuse? Getting back to Syracuse. So let's start why I started there. 
So I got my first um, degree in um, kinesiology or health and exercise science. And it's just like free medicine, but more focused on the body and how things work and going more into the physics and body mechanics um, and exercise physiology and more the inner workings of how the body works. And um, of course, with the hard sciences, biology, organic chem, chemistry. Um, my second degree is, in, is a master's in biomedical and forensic science with um, advanced study in neurosciences, specifically neurodegenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis, yeah. um, healthcare, I'm sorry, public health, yeah. and epileptology, um, which is the study Ooh. of epilepsy and ep- epileptic disorders, um, which multiple sclerosis sometimes does have a tendency to be um, a subset of, of the um, inflammatory disorder. Yeah. And we're finding more. I mean, for years they thought it was, uh, uh, they thought it was attached to this and that. Now they're getting that Epstein-Barr, which is the kissing disease. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much in the population, everyone pretty much has had, I mean, the percentage is super, super, super high and we've all had that. So that just means we have the virus in us. Um, but some of their finding that they think, <laughs> they think, that MS and Epstein-Barr, Epstein-Barr can be the beginning of that, mm-hmm. of MS. So that's the newest uh, rising to the top right now. And, you, you know. I read about that or yeah. heard that, but you know me. Yeah, I'm yeah, no, yeah. Um, right. But in, in continuing, um, I have accepted a Robert E. McNair Fellowship at Syracuse University. Well, ha- well I have received or collected my other um, degrees from, I will be um, matriculating in the fall as a medical sociology student at Syracuse mm-hmm. University, fully funded um, with stipend um, and hopefully a research partnership. Yay. I was a clinical neuroscientist um, and that is fancy for I study brains. I study brains in areas of autism spectrum disorders, um, degenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis, COVID-19, um, where I've gone across the East Coast to, to serve in um, helping those who have been inflicted with COVID-19 and continue to keep populations in New York, New Jersey, and Georgia, oh, also North Carolina. Mm. Um, so I'm back here to go on to put what it is that I've experienced in the classroom, um, what I've ex- experienced in the ICU hallways and understanding that um, our healthcare system almost nearly crumbled in the face of a global pandemic um, with, with grace given to those who are fields of public health and medicine. Um, I think we did what was allowed and um, with what the interworking of systems um, have allowed to do, but there's so much more work to be done. And unfortunately, um, I've had to hang up my white coat to be able to address those issues, issues of discrimination in, pub- in, in healthcare and access to um, opportunities of higher education for people of color um, because it's important for representation and it's important to kind of change things and not continue to reap the benefits of our hard work um, and and believe um, that there is equity or that we will take oath and not doing harm and, and stand back when harm is being done and not do much about it. So the change that I'd like to make cannot be done um, at the bedside with one family. Um, in, in one medical team. Uh, so I have taken myself out of that in the canvas into communities who need it most. 
So you see why I really wanted to have her on, you guys, because she has a plethora of information and experiences. And it's important that um, when talking and empowering women, you guys have the bigger picture. So the more interesting people I can collect to come on to the radio show and share their story and converse with me and that you guys have some things to think about, the better off um, wellness learning curves 2.0 is because 2.0 means it's at another level. So we're going to have an another level conversation about discrimination in healthcare. And yeah, it sucks. It sucks for women. And then imagine having being black and brown and then it sucks more. <laughs> or Indian. It just, you know, we were talking, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, we were talking about years ago, decades ago, and still probably, but not as um, visual, I, I don't know, visual. I was saying when I went to fifth grade, one of my friends was African-American and uh, she, for, fit, for, for the first day of uh, kindergarten, wore white gloves. And I was so jealous. She had these beautiful white gloves. And I said to my mother, I need white gloves. I cannot go to school without white gloves. <laughs> and it really is the polish um, when you have to set an example for people to get to get people's attention. You have to be plain at that level, whatever that means. So um, I like, yeah. A level above. Yeah, it's just, it, you know. <laughs> silly it's all silly and you know everybody put I mean, i'm going to go back to what i say everybody puts their shoe their socks on the same way i don't know there's no like special way to put on socks if you have color in your melon in your skin i mean honestly so <laughs> the plumber and the president put on their socks the same way <laughs> you know but we also talked about what we were going to talk about and so advocating for ms and because it touched her family and also the physiology and her being in Syracuse. And we also talked about another situation that happened in Michigan. And she pointed out to me that it's continuing to happen across the country. And that is lead poisoning. So we had Flint and we still have Flint. Don't think that went away. It's still going on. But um, Syracuse seems to be having their own challenges. and. If you don't bring attention to this, children have brain injury and nobody wants children to have brain injury from lead poisoning. That's like a long time ago. You think to yourself, right? Very it was a long time ago, right? Yes. Extremely preventable um, environmental injustice rooted in um, systemic oppression. Um, so since I've hung up my white coat, I am now a public health consultant. So I work and right. um, operate with um, non-for-profit organizations, for-profit organizations, um, and um, branches of the government where I go and speak and present digestible research or digest digestible neuroscientific research to bipartisan officials. So it is that I may be able to make clear and concise, well-informed scientific right by scientific evidence-based practices and research, they can make these decisions having not been motivated by their own understanding, right? So that was something that we had uh, 
um, come across in the COVID, COVID-19 pandemic, right? So uh, this thing became super po- politicized. And those of us who are the sciences, medical professionals, public health professionals, or any power that be in that, right, um, felt powerless because it was turned into a bipartisan type of argument. And we strayed away from the sciences and facts and um, people um, unfortunately lost their lives. Passed away, yeah. Yeah, more people that should have, you know. And, you know, common sense, Kara, would lead you, you know, explain how many times over the past three years have I tried to explain public health, what that means. Public health is for the welfare of all of us around the world, not just like in New York. Kara's from, you know, from New York City. So she's from the boroughs and she knows. And, but public health is about the public. It's to keep people healthy. So if you're asked to put on a mask and that's what you're asked to do, you do it. It's not just for some, it's not, it's for everyone. Public health means everyone. Taking on a pillar of understanding that those um, everyone doesn't have the same access to, to health care or unfortunately have literacy in a way to be able, even if they have access to health care, to really capitalize on what that is and what that would mean for themselves and generations to come. So as a public health officer, I, I advocate for patients or community members or constituents um, in in office, right, in doctor's offices in the streets where I see um, those people in the community who might be needing information or um, sometimes now recognize me in the community as I canvas and yes, say, oh, nice. you're the right girl or you're the scientist or, hey, my I love that information about such and such. I, I love that too. But sometimes I do just want to be walking in the park to get, <laughs> to get a breather. But this is my life and um, this is my passion. Um, and like I was saying before, I feel divinely um, connected to this assignment. But speaking of the lead poison in Syracuse City, I work with a team of academics, um, doctors of different fields, mostly neurology and pediatrics, um, public health um, entities or the health department here in Onondaga County, non-for-profit organizations, um, and I guess the community as well, educating um, the neuroscientific implications of being exposed to lead. So that's with paint chips, that's with paint dust that can be on windowsills, how it is that we educate um, constituents on how to clean after this or how it is that they get resources or grant resources to um, safely and legally remediate these to educate them of the problem, bring awareness um, at first and foremost that this is an issue, that this does affect children. Um, and um, just having like a pack of sugar that you would put in your coffee and tea in, in the morning is enough of lead dust to um, impact the IQ of four point. So That's amazing. Unfortunately, that one pack of sugar is not the amount of lead dust and exposure in the typical home built in 19, before 1979. And Syracuse um, has housing stock. That majority of the housing was built before 79 and has lead paint or um, dust and or lead pipes that lead from the street to their home and delivering um, these kinds of contaminants. Um, so we've been working very closely with um, elected officials, um, health, public health officers, um, health administrators um, to, to remediate this issue and fight for children and, and let people know that this is not an issue of children. The children are most impacted, readily impacted. 
um, and even those who are unborn, because it does affect um, birthing people who are of um, gestational ages. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a disease or contamination for the ages. It mm. does affect um, the global system of the bodies, affects the kidneys that lead into diabetes, that lead to stroke. It affects the heart that leads into heart failure that could also lead to stroke. Um, it affects, like I said, IQ points. It affects cognition. Um, it leads to violence. Um, so further in my research, I'm finding that while Syracuse at City has this highest lead poisoning and with three times the amount of Flint, Michigan and 600 children are. Isn't that scary, guys? It's so scary because we all, I think pretty much everybody knows what happened in Flint. Imagine it three times the size. Three times as three times as the exposure. Exposure. To the Better clarification. Okay. To the environmental contaminant. Um, we also am finding that the there is the highest incidence of multiple sclerosis in this region for the nation. Great. <laughs> because of my understanding of, yeah, that's that's the unfortunate, unfortunate statistic, right? Yeah. So, Environ- so what you're saying is environment. Right. So environmental, you guys, affects MS. There are many theories and I come from that situation of having my my elementary school behind the public golf course that they built and they put Roundup down. And so that has changed. Uh, I know at least a dozen of us who have neurological conditions now, and that's men and women. Yeah, you were you were telling me about that of our second meeting um in conversation with each other and I, I went on to explain to you that there's definitely implication um unfortunately these chemicals that they use to treat to treat um yards and grass and beautify places like golf courses are neurotoxins and does uh, unfortunately have a prolonged effect it might even be dormant sometimes but some um instance of trauma whether it is being pregnant which is Consider trauma to the body because there's so many changes. Um, mm. So, or um, you know, it affects your learning, it affects your development, all of these things in various sy- systems and tissues in the body, and they have a compounding effect. Um, and and that's what's going on. Um, and research has presented it as such. It's what's going on in Syracuse City. Um, and how I hope with my team of, you know, fellow colleagues, students, um, medical professionals um, and public officials alike, I hope that we continue to tackle this issue and understand um, that it's not just a children's problem. While that is what we are concerned of, it is a problem for the generations and it's something that is totally preventable. Right. Yeah. We're already in an area where vitamin D is very hard to come by um, being yeah. from the equator. Um, that also increases your likelihood of being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, so we want to keep communities healthy and first informed because when you can make an informed decision, there's autonomy in that. There's power in that. And you have control literally on the livelihood of generations to come because. Yes. Control, right. So because my mom was very um, in, involved in her own health. And her own, um, even before being diagnosed, I can't miss an appointment. My birthday comes around, that means I need a checkup, right? My birthday comes around, that means I need my second dental examination for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so being very stringent, it, it passed down. It's now second nature to me and me now being um, surrogate caregiver to my brother who is mm. poor and can care for himself. <laughs> but that's my baby. Um, I even say, hey, when's the last time you, you know, checked this, checked on this or had a blood test or had this or have you been able to get a baseline MRI? So we because there is a 25 percent chance that we might be um, inheriting multiple sclerosis. So we we were trained and taught up to to be up on top of our health care and smart for ourselves and know our bodies in a way I can go to having a chronic myself is endometriosis. I can go to my GYN and say, hey, six days before I'm starting my cycle, I'm going to experience a, ma- a migraine. Six days mm-hmm. after that, I experience a migraine. A lot of people don't are not aware and in tune. And in tune. And that's where the power is knowing because we we have to, yes, people who we are put in front of as they're white coats. They they hold space of power. They hold space of authority and anointing in the way that they've been trained and have clinical experience. But that doesn't mean they tower over you, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to know that this is a team. This is a team. They, we as clinicians, we as medical professionals, are nothing without our patients. Yeah. Right? So you ultimately, as the patient, has the power. Ask the questions. Um, be adamant on how it is that you want to care for yourself or how you seek out care for your family members. Be adamant on things that you want to discuss, like um, side effects of medication or medication choices, um, just as though you don't go into a restaurant and allow the wait, waiter or waitress um, to serve you anything. Yeah, you you, you ask for, yeah. Right. Don't allow that to be how it is that you access your health care. Yes. Very good alliteration. I like that. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, it, it, it is, it's disappointing that we continue to sort of see things pop up and yeah, we don't, we don't learn many a time, you know, um, I was watching something on, uh, yesterday on, um, the, te- the uh, immig- immigration to here after uh, World War II. And even after World War One, but they were talking about um, the behaviors of different groups. So um, public health actually wanted people who were Italian to stop using olive oil. <laughs> they didn't get it. We didn't get it here in the United States. We didn't. When did we cook with olive oil? We didn't do that unless you were Italian and you cook with olive oil. But they came with their olive oil and everybody was like, no, you have to use lard. And it's like, no. I use olive oil. I'm from here. Same thing with um, Jews on certain foods. Um, Chickens, people had chickens because if they kept kosher, they had to be able to raise them correctly and, you know, build them correctly because it's a different process. And the other thing is they talked a lot about pickles. People had in the big wooden Containers like you, you know, you get whiskey, those big barrels. That was really a bad idea for public health. Hands from, you know, big burly guys going into those. Oh, my God. It was like waiting to happen. But children love pickles. You know, they were easy to pick up. You could suck on a pickle for hours and hours, be very, very happy. And it's funny how these little trait, you know, little traits sort of um, and habits. Of course, like they're founded on people's 
opinions, right? Or whatever they thought they knew at that time, because telling someone to use lard instead of freshly pressed olive oil from Italy is very wild to me. Yes. Um, well, today it is. But right. imagine like 1800, 1900. Right. We didn't know. I mean, we had no clue unless you lived in Italy or Greece. I mean, if you were working with it all the time. Have longevity, they got us beat those. those oh, yeah. Honey, why do we think we have the Mediterranean diet? Yep. Touche, right? But it is. It's very, it's very interesting to see in public health how we collect things that still need to be taken care of. You know, in Asia, they wear masks all the time for the soot that is in the air. They're heavily populated and, and super industrial. Um, yep. So it would behoove them um, to care for their lungs in a way. But, but here we had to care for our lungs and everybody has a fit. You're like, yeah. we're talking about your lungs. I asked you to take care of your lungs. In fact, I've asked you to take care of your lungs so yeah. that I can take care of my lungs. And that's why it's public health because it affects the public, not just this group or this group, all groups. I think um, COVID-19 was a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, it was a blessing in the fact that, unfortunately, during that time, um, George Floyd was murdered. Um, so it, it brought awareness to instances of injustices in a lot of um, stages in, in, in America, um, specifically health and how it is that Black and brown people access health. Yeah. Um, and because there were so many profiles on what his health was like and, and or what his educational background was like. And maybe if things, you know, if we take it as a case study, if things had gone in a way that was equitable for how it is that himself or maybe his mother, he called to um, for about eight minutes um, to access health in a way, maybe he being in a space where he is caring for his daughter and his daughter doesn't have to have the aspect and look out of the fact that her daddy saved the world with his health care. It's mean, crazy. His murder and, and then yeah. the memory of his life. Yeah. Right? So it allowed for space to open up for us to talk about things like health care and how it is that there are differences and many things play into how it is people access health care. Yeah. Um, so it's not just can you go to the doctor and access a health care. It's literally can you read and understand the document that your PCP sent you in order to file out who get to the doctor to fill out. There two you go. Can you read and understand what this scan says to you when you access your my, my chart? Should you have access to internet, computer, and things? There's so many found mm-hmm. it in a way. But um, um, speaking to multiple sclerosis and how it is that I have gotten into that, my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um, in 2001 on Good Friday. And I was in Nice. <laughs> I hate it when it's on a holiday. And so it like holds even more weight yeah. and levity because every time that holiday shows up, you're like, Ugh. that's true. And I, and I really feel that experience. But another great thing about my mom was that she found that as to be a blessing. OK. On the day that um, Jesus, who we call our savior, that he presented himself on the cross um, against his own will, <laughs> um, she was quote unquote, blessed with this disease and continued to call it a blessing until um, she was not able to anymore. Um, we didn't understand it. Um, and I'm, I have, I understand it in, in the way that I can, but I'm still a little girl without her mom. Yeah. Um, but in seventh grade, where 
I was mostly obsessed with complex mathematics principles. <laughs> I would press to. And that's what I'm. You guys out there, that's what I am. Just fascinated by complex mathematical. So oh my goodness! Yes, and, but this um, is why we have interesting people, Kiara, because you know that's what you were delving into. I just loved math and I was obsessing over that and wanted to be a math teacher and one of the greatest mentors, um, my seventh grade math teacher. I guess I just wanted to be like her in the way that she educated and reached out to her community and beyond because she traveled the boroughs um, to, to help young people obtain educational access. Miss mm. A was explaining to me or helping me ask Jeeves, I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, ask Jeeves, what is multiple sclerosis? Um, and then I had other questions. What is that going to mean for my little brother that I asked for? What is that going to mean for my family as we know it? Um, so instead of helping my great grandmother prepare communion that that Friday for Good Friday, because she's a mother of the church, I was researching now complex scientific principles. Mm. Um, every every chance that I got, I decided that I would dedicate my mental powers um, to learning and understanding MS um, because I guess I didn't feel safe to ask questions um, because I knew. And who would you ask? I mean, I mean, maybe I would have asked my mom, but um, we didn't even, I can count on one hand, the amount of bad days my mother reported that she had to us. Um, so being a pillar of strength herself. Yeah. We, you know I what? Hopefully you were, you were lucky, anything. right. But you were lucky because you know what, that your mom is it my MS is not as bad as my mother's MG was because myasthenia gravis, another neurological condition, yeah. you could literally be chewing and suddenly your jaw doesn't work. Like, yeah, it doesn't work. So you my could have also had trigeminal neuralgia. So my mother had a very complex and um, not the best time um, mm. her MS, but her knowledge of healthcare. Her knowledge of how it is that she would feed her body. My mother was eating to her blood type at, at a point. I love it. I love it. Hey. Maintained her, maintained her muscular. She never atrophied. Um, she did lose, of course, um, ability to walk um, due to debilitation from um, her relapse. Right. right. And it's different for everyone. Sometimes it comes and goes, you know, and sometimes it stays, a symptom stays. And why does it happen to certain people? We really don't. You know what? Until we have a cause, we do not have a cure. And we have to understand all of those levels of and, MS. And that's where public health comes in. Understanding um, comes in in, in in partnership with neurosciences, not just itself, but in partnership with neurosciences um, and understanding the cause, right? So there's an environmental aspect that you have experienced and 12 others of your peers have experienced, right? Yeah. There's an environmental effect that going on in the city of Syracuse in New York. Um, but there yeah. are also effects like epigenetic effects, right? So um, that is like our genes, right? So there are things that happen, um, even generations before us that happen that just put a, boom, a stamp on their DNA, right? Mm. So. The reason why, let me see how I can simplify this um, concept for those who are not nerdy nerds like me, um, <laughs> epigenetic. So uh, a birthing person is carrying and, and hopefully to, to carry to term. However, things are happening in that birthing person's environment that we might be causing extra stress or anxiety 
um, or some things dealing with the pregnancy also cause extra stress and anxiety because that is a symptom of pregnancy um, anyway, right? Um, but if if I'm the baby or my young brother um, is the baby who he was the baby my mom was carrying as she experienced her exacerbated symptoms that led to her diagnosis 10 years after in those symptoms, there's epigenetic laydown in that, right? So my brother could be suffering from anxiety because of the anxiety that, you know, mom was suffering with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's literally just having the epigenetic laydown or stamp of what um, the fetus or offspring would would experience throughout their lifespan. And um, it affects in that way. So also with a historic or medical historic implication Right. There are so many things that happen in medicine um, where we have seemingly gratefully have understand a lot of concepts in, in healthcare, like um, the human genome. Right. With him. Right. Um, or um, also with that, with her, her stem cells and what that research was like, those things, those experience that happened against the will or um, informed consent of um constituents who were African-American um, and deemed less than due to medical professional silliness, silliness, yes, served that we were, you know, inferior to the white people, specifically white men to be test subject. But with those testings and chemicals induced or treatment not given, right, and syphilis turned into yes, Tuskegee, yeah. right? Tuskegee experiments. Um, yeah. There are things like there's a plethora of African-Americans who are allergic to penicillin. Mm, mm. The development of penicillin came from testing um, African-Americans mm, without, mm, without their consent that way. So I am an African-American allergic to penicillin. Yeah. Right. So Me too. And I'm a white girl. <laughs> right. But again, that goes to the complexity of our genes. Somewhere yeah. down the line, yeah. there could have been an interaction between a commonality of your genes and mm-hmm. a commonality of genes that from people that, you know, I stem from yep. due to history, there is a mixing of those genes that have let you have these things and me have those things. Absolutely. Right. So, yep. so that's really, there's so many implications of why we experience increased numbers of auto, um, autoimmune diseases in certain populations. But what's more important that we have access to clinical trials. Right. Yes, very much so. Understanding that diseases usually don't discriminate. No, uh, they don't know. Diseases don't go, oh, that's a white person, brown person, yellow person. No, white. It, yeah, they don't know. Right. So so having if we spend more time and have more access um, to to clinical trials where um, black and brown people are subjects. Right. We have an understanding of how diseases, especially diseases like multiple sclerosis, affect um these people are in general or how medications can help or don't help. Um, you know, so we base our treatments, <clears throat> design of medication and treatment plans to one specific type of person, knowing that there is an array of those affected by the position where we're continuing to put ourselves in the, in the backfield of moving forward to a cure of multisclerosis or eliminating um, lead poisoning. Um, yeah. You know, it's these are very important conversations because, you know, why why are we treated differently? You know, um, 
we could be here all day. <laughs> I know. It's just, I, you know, I just, it, it's such a sigh for it. It's just so it's, I think the biggest thing for me is it's just not okay. It's not okay. Right. And because it's not okay, um, myself and my colleagues alike and other people working in this, this sector of public health and, um, and other aspects of diseases or just access in general are, are taking on that, on that mantle. And, and hopefully, thankfully, we'll- thankfully, because it is, it's a big mantle to wear and we need to see, you know, we have to keep creating change and that's, really, really important. And that's done through communications and conversations like this and bringing things to light that, you know, people may not have been aware of and suddenly, you know, wonder, I mean, with MS, why, why is it harder on men and men of color with MS? We don't, we don't know, you know, why? I don't know. I I don't know. I don't have um, those answers um, scientifically, what given evidence-based, but Mm -hmm. Is something I'm looking into because in my um, ventures in advocating for multiple sclerosis patients um, and in D.C. speaking to the House of Representatives, um, we present research, right, to, to let them know, like, hey, we need two million dollars more on this on this budget to increase research funding. But we yep. also need separate um, and additional funding for veterans with multiple sclerosis because there are 70,000 black men veterans with multiple sclerosis. Isn't that? so strange i don't know why and over represented in that population hmm. right so there has to be probably an environmental aspect of what it is that they experience right um those people who are vets now and experienced that have gone through wars that we have spoken about in, in mm-hmm. the past where there were nuclear you know chemicals or mm-hmm. other that affect the neural system and and how how and having now the prolonged aspect of this right so so advocating for additional funds and research is is another way that I continue to support um, MS warriors um, having my plethora of information given the number yeah 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 and you want but you do want to follow it because you have I don't have anyone in my family on either side all the way back we have a lot of diabetes and and heart stuff but ms just came out of the blue like what was that and my mom didn't get myasthenia gravis until she was 80 so yeah no it's just things where my sister has fibromyalgia so she went to the same elementary school what what happened there (laughs) listen listen what you're saying Uh, something is happening there so you're saying that your family has these issues but as a clinical neuroscientist, your family, those issues might be secondary to what you're what you're claiming that your main issues, the heart, heart issues and issues. Heart issues and diabetes. We have diabetes right. and heart. So, so those might be secondary to, to your environmental exposure to neurotoxins, right? Yeah. So you have myasthenia gravis, multiple sclerosis, and there was another Fibro- fibromyalgia. Myalgia, right? So and major migraines. My sister's like the major migraine. With oh, the with the with the fibromyalgia, yeah. right? That sister. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the same person, but now mm-hmm. you have a compounded effect. So yeah. really, what I would say um, is that your family does have a neurologic stamp. Yeah, there. somewhere, it, absolutely. 
And that is something that could be laid down as we were speaking about the epigenetic Im- implications of how um, autoimmune diseases manifest. In, in yeah. And yeah. Specifically. And if you went to the same elementary school yeah. in New York City at a time without knowing, um, you know, without actively looking, but just deducing based on my experiences, it could have been the water fountain in your school. Let's go back to that. So you and I know that public health, the first real good story about public health is around a water pump in England at a crossroads and people were getting really sick. People were getting very, very sick in England and they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Why are people so sick? And some man actually figured, traced it back to a water pump at a certain street, at a certain crossing. And that is where, as a big marker of public health, was like, okay, this water pump is causing illness with a lot of people. Not just, you know, not just right here, but anyone who's getting water from this pump, we're having a problem with, which is amazing. I mean, that's why we like public. That's why. You know, yes, it's nerdy nerd, but thank goodness there's people who are doing that, epidemiologists and statisticians and putting all that information into um, into work, honestly. To work, because it's, it's, it's into work is the key phrase there, right? Because you can have academics or medical professionals or whomever at the pillar of their career published and, you know, plethora of mentees behind them, great mentors that help them bring them away. And they're producing and producing and talking at symposiums and doing these things that make them feel very accomplished and successful. But what is it if I write this very complex paper with words with 12 letters in it um, and my constituents are not helped, right? Mm, mm. Constituents are not serviced in a way, right? I can speak away. I can write away. I can present research at, at the House of Representatives in the Senate. I mm. can go in Albany and I can, you know, do so at UB or U Albany or with the Multiple Sclerosis Society to people who might understand these things. But if the work that I'm doing, if the work that I am producing is not making effective change, I am just a workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to put it into action. And that's what we're talking about, taking things and putting them into action. And so you decided to do a very specific kind of help for your community and for the world, sorry, but for the world, you know, because all of this melds together and weaves together patterns and those patterns are what we're looking for. Why, 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 you know, why did your mom get MS? How old was she? I don't remember how old she was um, when she was diagnosed because, right, Selfishly, I remember the experience also from her perspective, but also from my little, I was eight when my mom was okay. was experiencing um, these symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So I was seeing my mom fall down and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, what's going on? She's like, oh, I just tripped over that cord. And I'm like, you didn't, like the cord is over there, right? My little know-it-all self, <laughs> you can't fool me, even at eight years old. And, um, you know, she she had gone essentially blind for like a week, right? We had to yeah, live. I did that. I, I, I went essentially blind in one eye for a month. Two, just, both eyes. Yeah, a month, a month of apneuritis. It's just, ugh. Right, and we had to live in the dark. So as, as I remember just living in the dark for a week, but I also remember, and I get to smile about it um, because I remember my stepdad being very supportive, right? Mm-hmm. So while we were like in the dark for a week, 
my stepdad made like puppet shows with <laughs> with, our, with our black lab at the time. And so I love it. With the flashlight so I can be entertained, right? I don't understand like, mom, I'm going to do my homework in the dark. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but we can't have these lights on right now because I don't, I don't know what's going on with my body, but I kind of do know what's going on with my, my body. Mm. Mm. Um, it is it's weird i mean apneurias is fragmenting of fragmenting of you know the eye you literally things can break down almost like shatter it depends there's all different levels of that but it's it's crazy town it is very crazy and it happened happened twice for me at the beginning so you know i don't like worry about it now but i know what it felt like so i certainly won't want to re revisit that no i want to revisit i'll i'll pass right but because you are one in your profession, two very knowledgeable, you have access, you know, unfortunately, what that felt like. You can advocate for yourself at your appointments and say, hey, you know, neurologist specializing in MS, this mm-hmm. is to me. You are aware of this. This is mm-hmm. how I want treatment to go because this is something I do not want to revisit, right? Or, mm-hmm. hey, um, maybe this treatment didn't work for me, but I do find that having infusions twice a year does work for me. Yeah. Um, so that's good to know that you know what you have experienced, how you yes. get there again and 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 advocate for yourself in that space. And you were saying that you have a, a good team of people. Yes, I do. I'm very fortunate. I have a team of integrative people. And, you know, it's not just one. I, you know, I have two neurologists, one who's more psychiatry for cognitive because I was struck with cognitive. And thank goodness they can teach me skills at NYU at Rusk to um better function that way you know adhd on top of that doesn't help because i'm a procrastinator (laughs) i am you know a lot of people are i mean that's procrastination isn't just for adhd people procrastinate all the time Mm -hmm. but when you have a procrastinator who's adhd it's even more uh, live Um, and in person (laughs) that is me um uh, that is that is who I have been, that is what I'm currently trying to battle to break. Although knowing that I might not have too much control because I have ADD. Um, Yeah. But but you know what? The more, I mean, I talked this past Sunday. In fact, I didn't even have a guest. I talked about ADHD in women. And what was important about that was understanding it's different in women than men and boys. It's normally always seen in boys. It's till 1994. They feel that it was ignored most of the time with women. It came into study around 1994. And that's like five seconds ago, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um, but, you know, we're learning. And, you know, do you need drugs? Some people do. You know, some people need stimulants. Some people need non-stimulant drugs. And um, those are the things that sometimes we, we have to have. Um, but the tools and techniques that I've learned on how to focus better on using things um, like body doubling. I talked about body doubling. Body doubling is when I would call you as my friend or as my, my a coworker and say, look, I got this big thing I have to do. Can we like choose each one of us, choose something we're going to work on and turn on mute for 25 minutes and go work on that? Because sometimes you need another person to mirror you. Yes, that's and then you right, and that's what and exactly. So you're doing body doubling, okay, um, okay. and isn't that cool? It's very cool. It's very cool. And you know, then you can also, it also gives you a chance to 
um, be proud of yourself because you've got something done. Right. You know, that's a big part of this. Right. I do that often. I think I do that with most any task I can do, actually. Um, yeah. I body double when I go to the restaurant. Right. Okay. Uh, even um, reading menus are, are overwhelming for me. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just so weird um, because I read a lot, right? I'm a researcher. I'm a neuroscientist. I have to read so that my patients continue to get the best, um, you know, access to care that they can. Um, but reading menus, I cannot, I don't want to, like, even if it's like, I know I don't eat red meat, so I only could choose from the poultry or the seafood. Right. Usually right. Or, you know, what's the wine choices? My friends are like, you're going to want, let's pick this wine and this is what I'm ordering. So I'll order you that. And I'm like, yes, love that for me. Um, but, you know, also in, in spaces of work, like I work best, I think when I'm around people, mm-hmm. they don't have to be doing the same thing that I'm doing, right? Okay. Playing video games or just chilling or watching TV or a movie, but I bring my laptop everywhere. I've been, I was in the backseat of a car because I was in a comfortable space for mm-hmm. my, my neural system was nice and calm and I yep. stopped and started you know, typing and doing my work. And it was like, that thing works anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, anywhere I have a hotspot. So body doubling is something I guess I had to be resourceful in knowing that this is how it is. To get my there is, out. I will send you a, there's actually a website um, that you can three times a month, you can for free uh, call in around the world. They will match you with somebody to do body doubling. Yes, I know. I know. How cool is it? Focus net. I'll send it to you. Um, okay. I'll send you the information. But I found it really wonderful to know that you could find anywhere around the world somebody to do body doubling with you because it helps. You know, I mean, I'm a procrastinator here. You can be as bright as bright can be. That does not mean that you're not a procrastinator. <laughs> it just that means you, know, you might be a professional procrastinator. I, I think I am a professional procrastinator. Yeah. And also understanding of time. We also, uh, with ADHD, I was talking about, we sort of go down. Um, I always say, if I get on TikTok or Facebook or any of those during the day, it's like I, I'm like Alice in Wonderland and I drop into the black hole. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I I have have to, to manage myself. Right. Right. And I have to be strategic about that. And like yep. when I find myself going into like the feedback loop of like what social media has to offer me, which is usually nothing. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just fun. I mean, right. I don't, I don't when, treat it when I go into that, that, when right. I go into that mode, I have to make a positive switch in my brain and say, I'm about to go into this rabbit hole. I could and should be going through a rabbit hole with this, this research. So let me, <laughs> the app, let me switch the app. And <laughs> totally. But it is, it's, it's, it's difficult. But we'll have to visit this again. I want to know how your research is going. Um, definitely, Kiara, I think that what you're doing is so important. And as we talked about, you know, my friends have their kids and they're their legacy. I think those of us who don't have kids, our legacy is our work. And that is just as much a legacy and is important to the world and to ourselves as um, having kids. You know, we can, you know, I love my nieces and nephews. They're delicious. So there you go, you know, and uh, it's, it's great. You know, you have your friends who have kids. So you get to see people go through milestones. It's wonderful. And my legacy will, I mean, if, if God so has it that I do have a child, that it will be a blessing. 
Um, but my legacy, I, I believe I'm strongly connected to to my work and what a, what what that will be as a ripple effect for communities that I, I work in and connect to the providers that are serving in their community. Um, but it really came out of the question. Um, my, I guess my very first real life mentor, someone who was achieving and doing things before we were and she was older. Um, she was one of my good friends from since middle school, Maureen, her, her sister, Marsha, she was older than us and the first to like go to college. She, mm. I think her first degree was in psychology. Um, she's now an entrepreneur, um, psychologist and um, doing a lot of things and raising a nice, sweet baby. Mm. One, But she, she asked me, um, what are you going to do to honor your mother? Okay. She said, this is, this came to me. Um, she said, this came to me and I don't, I felt a way about asking you, but I know our relationship and I feel very compelled. She said, I think this is wrapped into your future. Mm. What would you do to honor your mother and to honor my mother? One, I've done so since seventh grade um, in, in intertwining my intellectual abilities around understanding neurodegenerative diseases, specifically multiple sclerosis. But what I did most is I honored even more than that. Um, on um, 11-22-22, I started my public health consulting firm mm. born on the birthday of my great-grandmother. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, Jones Burton. And my great-great-grandmother, it was named after Wilhelmina and Lindsayer. Um, there you go. Elamina Beach, which is the point of no return. Mm. So um, people who were enslaved from Ghana, not slaves, but enslaved, um, taken from Ghana. Right. Um, after that beach um, and in and, and honor of my mother um, to, to tackle issues of healthcare disparities in marginalized communities, specific, specifically underserviced, um, more black and brown populated communities to, to free us in, in mm. sense of ways. Um, so that's will be my legacy, but I am their legacies. Um, and, and of course, you know, with my fathers, both of them my stepdad and my biological father who had definitely shaped um, my scientific understanding and my mm. stepfather, Dirk, we have the same birthday, um, <laughs> definitely shaped my understanding of like what science is, asking questions, um, defending myself, one, defending others with like facts. He would be like, okay, so yeah, I did, you know, chastise your brother, but what facts are you going to tell me that I can't? And I would tell him. <laughs> And present, you know, a way or, you know, my dad, who was very well, very well versed in understanding in our history, okay. in American history, right. and history and instilling that in the purpose of knowing who I am and knowing where I'm going. Um, and those things combined and, and their rearing um, has definitely placed me in, in the seat that I am before the people. It's important. So I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and we will visit again, Kiara. I wish you a wonderful day and the sun shining and more public health uh, dealings and more it's really making sure that discrimination in healthcare is noted for people of color that we have to get much better and more um, on the ball. We really do. And that's for everyone to hear, not just people of color. That's for everyone, especially those who aren't people of color.
Right. So it was a pleasure, a pleasure uh, speaking with you again, being a guest on your show, Wellness Learning Curves 2.0, because we are elevated in how it is that we address healthcare, especially for your audience of women and those who might identify otherwise who are also listening. Thank yeah. you so much for this experience. And I definitely look forward to having another conversation with you. Absolutely. We have to talk about epilepsy because we have to talk about that. Because that was something yes. else. All right. Okay. So to be continued, because I would love to talk about it. You guys stay tuned. All right. Take care and have a great day. Thank we'll you. see you again on Radio 360, uh, Talk Radio for Women. Take care. I wanted to take an opportunity to introduce myself a little more. My focus as a health and wellness support coach and a patient advocacy consultant is to work with patients, clients, who are seeking to make lifestyle modifications that are struggling with chronic conditions such as obesity, diabetes 2, high BP or cholesterol, stress, rheumatoid arthritis, neurological conditions that are autoimmune conditions like MS and Graves and even Lyme disease using wellness navigation tools. Because I want to teach you how to tap into yourself even as an advocate, I want to be able to leave you with the tools to be able to walk away and advocate for yourself when you're speaking to a doctor or speaking to a insurance company and really make sure they understand you and they're not talking over you or around you or below you and that you are in control. Um, MJ Wellness Navigator LLC provides an integrative health and resilience coaching and patient advocacy education. And remember, our services are not medical or mental health advice. I'm a board certified and well-being coach, and I'm also a certified patient advocacy consultant. I'm not a licensed medical or licensed medical health professional. Nothing on the mjwellnessnavigator.com website in my content should be construed as healthcare or mental health advice. It's important to understand that because each one of those titles has different jobs. As a coach and as a board-certified health and wellness coach and as a certified patient advocacy consultant, I deliver these solutions to the unique needs of each of my clients. I am also providing medical groups that are professionals and practitioners with workshops and lectures at medical symposiums on ongoing education to use health and wellness coaching for their patients. If I can focus on a client's education, then I have an opportunity to really tap into your knowledge and bring forth what's great. I believe the road to deciding where and how a patient or a client can bring change is a collaborative one. We work together. It's not me telling you what to do and then you doing it. It is you and I figuring out the best way for you to reach your goal. Whereas the coach and coachee, we work as a team. I believe in honoring a client's gut or intuition, examining their life experience, and embracing inside readiness to create changes on a person's life path. I'm a connector, and I have a myriad of connections that I have established over the years. I can provide you towards an acupuncturist, a biofeedback expert, an integrative nutritionist, a homeopathic expert, Pilates, all of those things, even down to mindfulness-based stress reduction with John Cabot zinn that I learned from Boston. I can help you 
with your education, and I can help people better understand how patients can help and advocate for themselves. So with an open heart, listening, ear, humor, grace, and compassion, I want to help you merge what you may need, want, or perhaps envision from your medical teams to achieve better patient-physician relationships. I guide patients, and I want to guide you with this Wellness Learning Curves 2.0 show every Sunday. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you.